and welcome to the Creative Weirdos Podcast. I hope you all are having a wonderful Halloween weekend. It is almost here, that beautiful, magical, spooky day of the year that everybody loves so much. And I think this episode is a perfect little uh, segue into it. We talk briefly about Halloween, but not really uh, specifically. We talk a lot about the themes around it, about, you know, this interacting with death in a different way and this kind of uh, more magical way of viewing the world that this season allows if you interact with it correctly. So today I'm talking to my good friend CJ. Uh, CJ is a beautiful artist working on a wonderful graphic novel, uh, does amazing paintings and all kinds of just wonderful work. Go support CJ at all the links below and enjoy this conversation and just have the most wonderful Halloween you can. Thank you for hanging out with me. Thank you for supporting what I do visually with the art and here, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. starting with uh, explaining that it was a way to cope with a little nervousness. And can you just pick it up from there? Yes. So I just, oh, and I also let my son draw the cards. I was like, I'm so nervous. Like, come here. Come here, kid. (laughs) I I spread them all out on my desk. And I was like, okay, mom needs three cards. So that's how we got our spread. It's just a basic spread of like what may be a challenge that you're facing right now. And so the first card is about the history of it. The second card is like the actual obstacle. And the third one is like possible solutions. Ooh, I love this. Please continue. Okay. So the first one is the queen of pentacles. And that's all about building your life, building your life, nurturing, being practical, determined, focusing on creating a home and success. So that's the background for it. And then the obstacle card is the star. And that's all about um, creating your own light in times of darkness. So, and it also symbolizes metamorphosis. So you go from light to dark, that kind of thing. And it's about achieving the truest version of yourself. So I think that's the obstacle you're trying to like deal with and you're grappling with right now. It's like, I am trying to pop out of my cocoon as the truest version of myself. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and then the third one is King of Pentacles. And that's all about enjoying the fruits of your labor and putting importance on rest and relaxation and just enjoying your the harmonious environment that you've built for yourself. And so like the solution to this metamorphosis obstacle that you're facing is just chill out, dude. <laughs> and, CJ, wow, no, continue. <laughs> this is beautiful. Continue. And then it also says you're in a place now that you are able to be more generous with your time and energy. So that's like a gift 
that you can give others that you're also giving yourself. Wow. That's wonderful. And man, I needed, I needed to hear that honestly. And the chill out dude, (laughs) chill out dude that I literally have been saying that to myself in different ways. Like I've been, reverting to using some of those like internal uh kind of mind speak things where like you do like the countdowns like five four three two one and just like those things it's so funny i always think of an episode of family matters where carl's trying to deal with his rage and he gets that pamphlet from the doctor's office where it's like three two one one two three what the heck is bothering me (laughs) and they're like whole joke of the episode is how cheesy that is and i think he didn't actually see the doctor he just like took the pamphlet to pretend like he saw the doctor right right but there's all this science that proves that that stuff actually works that that self-speak and changing that inner monologue and like so i've been trying to do that and i've been thinking about this idea that ideas don't sink in very well when you're the only one telling the story to yourself so it's like so useful to have somebody else uh, do a random thing that I didn't even request and have it line up to that like inner dialogue. Cause that's exactly what I've been going through in a lot of ways. Like I am very grateful for so much of my life. Like I live in a world where I have a family, I have two kids and I have a house and it's all supported by this like weird artwork that I make for this coffee company and this like really weird thing that I didn't think was possible and I because of a bunch of different stuff have been trying to figure out what that next step is because it's like I never want that to go away I want that to be a thing and a part of my life but because of a bunch of different things I need I need that next thing that is like that true thing that for me and it's been storytelling that's where like so I've been uh I've been using mantra a lot and going back to like, I did a version of the 10 day miracle club that Mitch Horowitz talks about. And my whole like a little statement there was I'm going to be a successful professional storyteller. And I didn't know what that means or where it's going to look like. Right. Cause I, I, I don't, I love drawing comics, but I don't really want to be a full-time comic artist. I love making kids books. I would, I want, I want to make kids books. I want to make, all of these different things. But at the end of the day, I would just want to tell stories. And I do have this, like, I'm very grateful to have this really uh, awesome life where I can make things for a living and tell stories for things like coffee packaging and stuff. But I want there to be something that I own completely and is a full representation of of me, like, you know, is what I want to put out in the world. And the giving back part is so beautiful for another million reasons, I just recently uh, had to get or didn't have to. I got asked to give a talk at my old college and uh, it was so nice. interesting. Talk, Yeah, it was beautiful. And it was one of those things where like I tried to plan a lot and figure out exactly what I wanted to say, because I remember sitting there in audiences what like and in college and high school, listening to other professional creatives and like wondering when they're going to say the thing that I can apply to become a professional artist. And it never happened. You know, you sit there and you wait. What's the secret, man? Yeah, totally. Like in like, you know, at certain points in my life, it's like the technical stuff. Like what pen is this person using? What like, you know, paper are they drawing on? And then like, what programs are they using? How are they coloring this thing? How are they? So like it grew. And then 
after that, it was like, well, how do you apply the craft to become monetized and support? So there's all these questions. And I was like, how do I address those things? Because I feel like that's is essentially what like kids that like, you know, 1920 in college are trying to figure out. And I was like, I'm just going to be up front and tell them that like, I don't have those answers. Everybody's path is really different. If you would have told me that my path being a professional creative was through coffee packaging, I would have been like, nope, that's silly. Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> so like, you can't choose those type of things. But it, I left that whole experience being like, I want to do more of that. Like, I, I really connected with those kids. And it felt so good to kind of give back in the way of like, here's my story it's not going to be your story, but like, let me try and help you see that you're in control of your own story and that like, you're, you're, you know, you're never going to know what the thing is to make it work until looking back on it. Like the reflection is where you kind of create that story. So yeah, that giving back part of it, I was like, how do I do more of that? <laughs> so yeah. I just rambled for like 10 minutes after no, that because good. you just, you just hit on some really, uh, yeah, how appropriate that was is really beautiful. And the last time I had my tarot read was on this podcast. It was the year anniversary of this podcast. And it was my friend Sutton Crawford, who like if I usually buy a couple readings for Allie a year and I and through Sutton, mm -hmm. and like we've been friends for a long time. And uh, she did a reading and the pentacles came up. And I believe in that one, it was the nine of pentacles, if I remember right. And it was more about getting those like financial things in order so yeah, i could coins. enjoy Got yes exactly coins. and it's beautiful to see that a transition to what was the king of pentacles where it's about enjoying the labor the fruits yeah. of the labor is that so that's really like i feel like that's a meaningful transition to me and i mean i don't know that's really beautiful thank you so much for doing that cj i You're i can't uh, yeah that that's gonna yeah wow i knew it's so funny because not like not that I ever want to cancel conversations for this podcast, but I woke up this morning and I had like three messages that were about other work things where I was like, shit, I should probably handle this stuff soon. And maybe I should reskip. But I was like, no, I really want to have this conversation with CJ. And now I'm like, even more. I was like, yep, this was meant to be. I'm glad I ignored that other stuff to uh, make this happen. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> yes, yes. Ditching work, no matter how old you are, is always the right decision, I find. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> But yeah, so let's let's hop back a second here. Is tarot oh, yeah, something... real quick. No, please. Sorry. No, um, go, go. I just wanted to add on when you were talking about like giving back and talking to um, college students. One thing I really learned in college was uh, jump on opportunities. Yes. Like That's don't huge. look a gift horse in the mouth. Like if you have Absolutely. an opportunity, you take it. No, I think you're absolutely right. So many times. And like, it's one of those things where you walk a fine line when you're talking to kids because it's like you have to use discretion because you do like there's a point in your life where you say yes to everything and you mm -hmm. figure it out. Right. Like in that, that don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You never know where it's going to come from when you find like and part of my weird, I guess, artistic career path was that like at certain like at one point i like you know i graduated from college and essentially i was playing in bands and i didn't really care about making money via art i was working in a kitchen i paid my rent and i could tour and play shows and that was perfect like that was my creative expression at the time was just purely in the music scene and excuse me there was a point where i was like 
okay, I want to start like figuring out how to get back in, excuse me, to the visual side of arts. And I fell in love with drawing again. And I was like, oh yeah, like how do I do this for a living again? And I started hanging out with a couple friends that I had made in the music scene that were doing this full time. And I was like, how do I do this? Like, how do I do what you do? And they were like, just go get a shitty job. Like you need to go start at the beginning and like, just find some local place that will let you do design work, do illustration work, do something that is related to what this is and figure it out. And I was like, okay. And so I, I did that. I went around and I just started asking everyone I knew if anybody needed a designer or anything. And there was a, a janitorial redistributor. It was a, a place that sold toilet paper and cleaning chemicals and they needed somebody to essentially like run their catalog like does not like update pricing and stuff like that for mops and trash bags and like make make charts oh, yeah. that show you yeah right like make charts that show you what size trash bag fits in what size trash can and like all of the most like mind-numbing design work you could ever think of but I took it because it was offered to me. It was paying like the first time I was offered like an actual salary with like paid time off and all of that and like it turned out I could get my work done in about an hour of the eight hour day I had to be there. And I had this <laughs> super fancy computer. And at that point, like having access to Photoshop and all that stuff was harder for me. So they paid for Photoshop and Illustrator. So I could do all of my work in like Jackpot. an hour. Exactly. And then spend the rest of the day doing my own personal work. And my boss was aware of this and he was fine. And eventually he like, fired me and was like listen we're holding you back you're i'm gonna fire you you can collect unemployment for however long you need like we're not going to contest it but go figure this out because you can do better than what you're doing here and that was like one of the Whoa. most meaningful things right like it was a huge a huge part in my life but i never would have thought that again like my way and after that i got into the coffee thing and like got to where i am today and like that career path or like creative path that didn't make sense to me i'm like how do you go from working at janitorial redistributor so i think you're right like that saying yes and not turning down opportunities is so uh, so important and now i turn down stuff all the time like i am at the point now oh, where yeah, like yeah. i wish i could say yes to more stuff sometimes and like there's a lot of times where like people i like will ask for things that i have to like politely decline because i I know I wouldn't be able to give the attention I would like to to it and things like that. But like that's a good place to be. It is. And like it takes a while to get there. But yeah, no, that's great. I'm so glad you brought up that point. Um, but to hop back, so the tarot, is that something you've been using for a long time as far as uh, you know, a, a coping mechanism for anxiety and things like that? I haven't been doing it for very long. I would say probably about two years. Um, something like that. Uh, Katie. Yes, yes. She's the one that kind of like Mixed. reignited my interest in it. Yeah. <laughs> so I went and actually bought my first deck after seeing her on Liminal Earth. Wonderful. That's yeah. awesome. I was like, that does look so fun. I need to get one. Totally. You brought up yesterday's Liminal Earth uh, episode in our group chat earlier today, right? Oh, yeah. And you said it was about the parking lots as, as uh, underrepresented liminal spaces. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Can you, can you, that, that really hit home. Uh, I spent a lot of time in parking lots in my youth, like going to shows, like half of the point was you hang out in the parking lot. Like, you know, oh, yeah. going in to see the bands was a very small part of going to a show for most nights. So can you talk a little bit about what the, what y'all were doing with that idea last night? 
Oh, I was just hanging out in the chat, observing and like chiming in every once in a while. That's like my favorite place to be on Wufa Wednesdays in yes, the yes. Liminal Earth chat. Um, so they went out to local parking lots. And like when you think of a parking lot, it's just like a blank space, kind of like a necessary thing that you have to visit, but you're not hanging out there, mm-hmm. you know, for yeah. the parking lot. Totally. So <laughs> there's like this disused overlooked you know kind of sadness in a parking lot almost and lots of them have layers of history because how many buildings do you know have been like leveled yeah the parking lot stays though yeah exactly Yeah. yeah yeah no that's so true and the, I, I, when you mentioned that, like my brain went to teenagers because like that is such a liminal part of life and such a like if you are hanging out in a parking lot, you're like yeah. one of two people. You're a teenager trying to find space of your own away from your parents and just anywhere to not be around supervision. Or you're just like a person who's outside of society that also finds comfort in spaces like, you know, loitering yeah. being being a thing was or loitering wasn't always a thing that was a law that was those were laws that were passed because of those like teenage delinquents and cars that would just hang out in front of soda fountain shops like all of that the riffraff the riffraff totally and i i love uh reclaiming those spaces sounds like a beautiful thing to do via channeling ufos or any of these weird ideas (laughs) yeah in high school we would park in the kmart parking lot yes is kmart even still a thing no yeah it's gone right oh, yeah it's poof, yeah gone yeah well that's the parking lots just make me think of like suburban decay like when i think of a parking lot i think of like a sad shopping center that's been around forever that has like you know three closed storefronts and one like walgreens or something like that like that's oh, what yeah. parking lots make me think of right now which is a whole nother Uh, way to look at the liminal transition of culture and society like and to think about how parking lots weren't even like they were this thing that were created out of necessity because we decided to invest so heavily in the automobiles and like you know this whole culture of uh kind of uh what do you want what would you excess like like this whole like ridiculous amount of uh of space we take up for roads and everything else yeah that's really it's interesting when you brought that up i was like that's a wonderful thing to think about and nowadays you know people when they purchase things online like the facebook marketplace and stuff like that you meet in a parking lot i didn't even think about that wow so like it's like exchanging of goods like yeah you know acquiring things like oh i found the thing i really want so i'm gonna go to this place and get it yeah that's there's definitely a whole lot there there's a whole lot there and yeah the other thing the other reason i spent a lot of time in parking lots was because of touring a lot of the times when we were on tour and we didn't have somebody's house to sleep in or we were doing a long drive you would find the closest walmart and camp in the walmart parking Mm -hmm. lots they don't kick you out i don't know if that's still the, the 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 policies but for a long time they wouldn't kick you out you could just you know set up shop for the night and be relatively safe or like you know get a couple hours sleep and it, it is funny to think about how like those spaces get claimed by the transients and the people that are living outside of that like you know oh, yeah. normal societal thing 
also I would add like when I was a kid my parents were divorced so like my dad lived in Oklahoma my mom lived in Missouri and we would meet halfway at a Waffle House in Springfield and I would go from mom to dad in a parking lot that's yeah that's a wow so much there so much there that's wild so to hop back a little bit because I am interested in where you got interested in making stuff CJ and I really do Mm. enjoy how uh, varied what your creative interests seem to be like you I see you've been working on a graphic novel and paintings and all kinds of different stuff so like when did you start getting into just making things in general Mm. that's a very good question (laughs) long 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 time ago early days like yeah here kid keep yourself busy here's some crayons (laughs) yes (laughs) because i was essentially raised as an only child my all my siblings are like 10 plus years older than me oh wow okay yeah so i was on my own a lot with older parents so i was like entertaining myself most days so like a lot of coloring um oh and then i got into goosebumps yes so the covers of the goosebumps books were so colorful and spooky and i just love them so like i got on this kick of like i'm gonna make my own goosebump book covers <gasps> amazing that's so cool do you remember the, any of them that you made oh my gosh so many <laughs> ridiculous weird ones um i made one like the bat children or something like that and like they were i love it kind of like <laughs> excuse me little little bat kids amazing yeah just like an offshoot of vampires and like there was a little preschool or a kindergarten or something like that and like these creepy little bat kids were like playing on swings and on the slide and one was like flying and i love it yeah that's amazing tim jacobs like the illustrator for those goosebumps covers the original run of them is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite artists like his artwork is up there with like Stephen Gamble's as far as uh, early influences and even more like I loved finding scary stories tell in the dark and Stephen Gamble's art and everything was like horrifying and almost hard to look at like as a kid yeah. like it was definitely but Tim Jacobs had that like that pop element to it it had that like the the goosebumps had that like almost movie poster feel yeah to those them, crazy where, like, perspective shots like yes. I, I think the front's the, like all zoomed in on the creepy yes. part and yeah. yes so i think of like the there was one i think it was like welcome to horror land where it's like an abandoned amusement park with a giant oh, billboard yeah. in the front with the monster coming out or like i mean one of the ones is like burned into my brain is there was one about gnomes and it was also it was the color schemes of these books like like the gnome one had this so pink and vibrant. green yeah and like it had that like 80s early 90s very much like we're going to use complementary colors as bright as possible and like i i just really responded to that stuff and same thing like i remember trying i didn't get i wasn't 
man, I was talking, I think about this a lot when I talk to other uh, people who make stuff. Like, I love those stories, like you were just telling about making your own Goosebumps covers or like people that make their own comics and like write out their whole. Like, I didn't do any of that growing up. Like, I just, like, I would redraw the Tim Jacobs covers. Like, I would do my best to like replicate those. Or like, if I was drawing a comic, I was like redrawing a Calvin and Hobbes comic. Like, that was like, or I was like redraw. So, like, it wasn't until way later in my like uh, life that I got into making things on my own as far as like stories and stuff like that, which yeah. is, in, I really didn't think about that until you just said that. And that's a, uh, that's super interesting to me, but the what? other thing, Oh, go ahead. Go. Oh, I was just going to say whenever I started like uh, really caring about quality, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. detail stuff. Uh, I was copying like anime yeah. screenshots. Like, totally. so <laughs> back in the day, I would watch Inuyasha and like okay. Yu Hakusho and all those that were like on Adult Swim back in the uh -huh. day on Cartoon Network. That was yep. like my window into anime. I would like record it on a VHS tape <laughs> so I could Absolutely. pause it on the shot that I wanted to draw. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. I missed that anime. Like the whole, like, I don't know why it didn't click with me like dragon ball z was probably the most popular one when i was growing up mm -hmm. and like like i remember all the kids loved it and it seemed like something that i should love but for some reason and like since being older i've revisited a lot of it via man uh, manga and things like comics getting back into storytelling and things like that and but yeah, for whatever reason, I missed that whole chunk of uh, of art influence. And it's something that I'm like, wow, I wonder why that just didn't click with me at the time. And looking back, I love it. Like, it's the type of things that I love to revisit. And I remember how prominent it became and still is. Like, if you look at sales mm -hmm. of comics, even in the country, like, or I think in the world, like, sales of comics have just been growing and growing and growing every year, but it's not Marvel DC image. Like those are like, I think it's 9% of the overall comic industry. Now it's almost Whoa. all uh, manga and uh, young adult novels from like scholastic and first second, like all comics are sold through bookstores now, not really comic shops. So like, yeah. it was funny because I was talking to the, the kids at um, my old college about this because there was a lot of people that wanted to be comic book artists. And I was like, listen, I know a lot of professional cartoonists and unless you are working in this very specific line of comics, no one is a full-time cartoonist. They're all cartoonists and illustrators and animators and like have several different hustles. And I could see like the, some of them getting really kind of like heartbroken by it. And I'm like, I'm not saying you can't be a full-time cartoonist. You just kind of have to work in this very specific, like it's not right. superhero comics that are going to do that for you. And it's not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's, it, it is interesting how much that kind of took over and uh it, it i think it reflects a lot of just like again the storytelling and the connection via like people people really like clean storytelling and that's what like anime and that style of comics has to me like you can follow those stories and the way that they build stories are is really interesting but yeah that makes a lot of sense i also love how much like vcrs played into 
artists of our generation's like uh, oh, yeah. creative like process like that that was definitely something i did with simpsons where i would like vhs record them pause it i remember putting like tracing paper up to the tv and trying yes. to trace on the tv right? tape and, it like, on there yeah exactly and like that roundness would give it from the screen would or give sometimes it a weird like <laughs> yeah or like the static electricity would make the paper yes. stick to it yeah absolutely so you know, you mentioned something else that I, is really weird that it's been a theme that's been popping up a lot. But uh, I, I, the new Daniel Klaus book came out this week and I'm a big Daniel Klaus fan and his comics have always been really meaningful to me. And a theme from Ghost World up until this new one is kids being raised by either grandparents or much older parents and kind of how it yeah. changes their relationship with mortality. How like kids that grow up with younger parents think they have like, like they have less touch points for that kind of like physical decay and like things like that where kids that have older parents kind of see it sooner and kind of have yeah, a whole like different Like my grandparents were super old. Yeah. Was yeah. that something you've noticed throughout your life? Absolutely. Uh, that's probably kind of how I got a little bit more into spooky stuff. Yeah. Is because like death was not something I was unfamiliar with. Gotcha. Like uh, my stepdad's mother, she had cancer. And whenever uh, we moved into her home, so we could my mother could care for her like it was I was really young really young and it was a very formative experience for me like she was very sweet and very religious she was uh, a Jehovah's Witness so that mm -hmm. was fun that's interesting interesting my mother was a Southern Baptist oh so okay. it was like mm, conflicts there yeah a little yeah. bit <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, she passed shortly after that, and yeah, so dealt going to the funeral home, making arrangements with my parents, um, yeah. you know, dealing with the grief, seeing my parents grieve, mm -hmm. and whenever she passed, I got her room, so. That was a thing. <laughs> That's a whole thing. Yeah. Wow. And how old were you at this point, do you think? Oh, gosh. I think I was probably eight or nine. Wow. That is, that's like that formative time right there. Like, yeah. Like, we moved in to take care of her when I was probably like six. Yeah. And she uh, lived for another few years after that. So, probably like eight or nine. Yeah, that is that like super formative time. And it's it's really interesting how you connected that with getting into more of the weird spooky stuff, because it makes sense that that would be like a kid's way of understanding those big ideas and those big right. things that you're experiencing. Oh, and I saw her after she passed. Oh, wow. When I was probably a, a year or so after that, I was walking into my bedroom, which had been her bedroom. And I mean, to this day, it's a question of like, did I see it or did I not see it? You know, but I swear I walked in the room and I saw her reflection in the window where I should have been standing. Whoa, 
That's insane. And it was just like, ah, sudden freeze, immobile, can't breathe. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's hard to process right there. That's, that's intense. And was it something that you like shared with your, with, with the rest of your family there? Or oh was yeah. That yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, mom. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Uh, do, and how long did you stay there after she passed? Like, were you there for a while or did you? Oh, I lived there for a long time. Um, up until I was 20. Wow. That is, that's a good chunk of time. And big chunk. Did it fe- have a different feeling at that point? Like, did that, like, was it always kind of, uh, did that, frame your living there having that be the first experience in the house or was it the type of thing where it just felt like a normal house after a couple of years and like it's weird to say it out loud but like I feel like that house was a living thing yeah like that house had feelings to me absolutely for sure like it was built by my stepdad's father and so and everything was like plaster walls, wood floors, all original from like, I want to say they built it in the late 40s. Wow. Yeah. That's got some history for sure. Yeah. And that was the only family that lived there until we left it later on. Wow. That's, yeah. No. Th- houses like that are definitely special and have something to them i mean i'm i'm in a house right now that was built in the 19 i think it was 1938 and like there is a ton of things that's really bad about that i'll tell you (laughs) yeah we had to get part of the foundation rebuilt we had to get the chimney rebuilt we've had a lot of those big old house problems that you don't think of when you buy old house and none of the ones where you're like oh this feels great i have a new like bathroom or a new kitchen it's like oh well my house isn't gonna sink into the ground i guess that's good but you know (laughs) it doesn't have that uh quite the same feel but the one thing this house has that i love is it has this very, very lived in, like warm feeling to it. And I think it does have to do with, I think it has a similar history where it was in the same family since the thirties and like has that feeling to it that like feels like home and like feels like, I I don't want to use terms like haunted or anything like that because I think there's like negative connotations to those, but it has like, there's things here, like there's stuff here. And like, I think it does have a, a, that personhood that you described it, it's it feels a warm because it's happy you're there yeah exactly and like even it's really funny like i my whole life have never uh had like real paranormal experiences or even like close to something i could kind of make up as one you know like i right i've never even like tricked myself into it and like i have the little uh ghost cat story here with my kid and whatnot but it does have the feeling more here than any house I've lived in before like it could happen which is interesting to me and like I don't know if that's just because I'm more into this stuff again or any of that thing Mm -hmm. but I I like the idea of granting places personhood and allowing that idea of like you fill this space and like you're you're uh, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship you know (laughs) exactly yeah I even like I think about it with the you know I've 
all those house problems that I've had. There's definitely times where I've like talked to the house, been like, come on, can't just, just, just hold up here house. Like it's all good. We got this. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> I definitely yep. have given it it's uh or uh given it it's anim animistic type view before. Um man, there was something I wish I wrote down because there was something else that I wanted to ask you as far as growing up with like that gap between your siblings and that kind of like, because my sister's 10 years younger than me, right? And she yeah. had like, so I've talked to her a lot about this and now just completely left my brain, CJ. So if it comes back, I might ask you randomly at some point here. Sure. <laughs> um, but so kind of continuing down that uh, time of your life of getting into the weirder, spooky stuff. Did you have mm -hmm. other people in your life that were into this stuff that you could kind of relate to and talk to about it? Or was it kind of a, a loner journey for you? Pretty much a loner journey. But my mom was great. Yeah. She was awesome. Like, That's I would great. talk to her about stuff and she'd be like, mm, well, who knows? <laughs> you know? That's amazing. That's amazing. I love it. She wouldn't <laughs> shoot me down. So, like, that's as good as I could ask for. Absolutely. So I know that we're also both into some of the same uh, philosophical side of things or the kind of like big picture thinking side of things. And mm -hmm. when did that come along? Like, when did your interest in people like Carl Jung and that side of things come along for you? Well, I took a basic psych class in high school with my favorite teacher, Mr. King. Ooh, I like that name. Yeah, he was awesome. He's also passed, by the way. Mm. Like, Rest that's... I have a list of everybody that's passed in my life. It's pretty long. Oh, that's rough. That's And that's beautiful that you keep a list of... Like, that's so nice, because I think that... Like, yeah, something... it sucks, but, like, it's, you know, it's life. It's so life. I just like to keep track. Yeah, no, because it can be easy to forget about how important it is to put a physical thing on a piece of paper that represents them. Like I was talking to, actually I was talking to Sutton Crawford uh, a couple of days ago for a episode coming up and we were talking about ways to kind of keep the past loved ones and people like alive in your life. And like, Absolutely. I think just writing their names down and simple things like that is so important and things that we forget to do these days. I'm incorporating that li the reason I made the list in the first place was for the story I'm doing. Ooh, that's the, is this the graphic novel you're working on or is this a different thing? Graphic novel or comic or storybook. What's I'm not exactly sure of the concrete the... format that it's going <laughs> to take, but I'm basing characters around people from my life that aren't here anymore. Oh, that's awesome. Like, that's beautiful. So I made the list and then I wrote like a description for each person as best as I could remember, like about their personality, their weird quirks and stuff like that. And I'm trying to like see how many I can fit into different stories. That's so cool. I love that. Was this something that just kind of came to you or is this a project you've had in mind for a while or uh, what inspired this? Mm -hmm. I didn't have it in mind. It's just kind of popped up. Um, 
kind of like a shadow work deal, I guess you could call it. Like these are things that I haven't taken time to process myself, you know? So like if I do it in this way, in a way that I feel like I could do in my own artistic way, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. I No, that makes sense. I just thought that would be a good way for me to process it. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest, um, uh, what, what do you want to say? Practical applications of art is a way to kind of process these, whether it's things like, you know, uh, a grieving a past loved one or processing trauma or just right. allowing the subconscious to speak. You know, I think a lot about that with, I, I love uh, comics in general. And I think a lot about that time in comics when, all of the big comic artists went to war and then came back and almost every one of them to a T their art style changed completely. And they're like, they got not only their art style, but the content of their comics completely changed. Like Will Eisner is a beautiful example. He's one of my favorite artists in general. And he was known for a comic strip at the time called The Spirit. And if you look at the Spirit comics before he went to war versus when he came back, they're completely different things. And the stuff he's known for is when he came back. That's when he really like tapped into something that was beyond just your normal, like, you know, kind of Sunday action hero detective comic book strip and there's so many instances jack kirby's another really beautiful example and one that's like even more intense because i mean he essentially landed in normandy like the day like two days three days after like he was there to like clean up this like so like he tells these stories where like he just loses himself and he'll like tell the story about having to kill his first person because they were coming at him with like knives and like all this stuff. That's like, Oh yeah, that person was kind of broken and came back. And when you look at his comics that were after the war, that's where like the big Stan Lee collaboration, he was like channeling PTSD through these beautiful comics and didn't really know or have the language to say what he was doing at the time. But when you look at art from that time, it's like all of these guys that were forced to go do this thing kind of came back and processed it all through these like pulp comics and novels. They just laid it all out there. Totally. And they didn't really know. I don't think it was like a conscious thing, you know, I don't think they came back and like, you know, knew and like comics have a very, large history of propaganda and like being used as like you know Mm -hmm. supporting war efforts and stuff but there is a distinct like that kind of stops as soon as they come back from uh from world war ii and even like there you can see the transition with like marvel comics through vietnam where like they start out in the very early days of vietnam with the same rhetoric like support the troops and all of that stuff but like almost like a month into it it's the opposite where they're like yeah no everybody should come home and this is not like so you can see that reflecting in the culture which is really interesting to me but yeah on a personal level i think that's what art can do for everybody is just allow you to take control of those narratives that I think run our lives and like we're functioning in the background and kind of write your own story to them. Do you right. have a time? Like, so to, to jump back a second, as far as like getting into the philosophical side of things oh, yeah, yeah. And, and that, and that idea, like what was the first big 
what was the first thing that got got you into that? Like, was it like the ideas of Carl Jung? Was it something like, you know, more uh, like for me, I always think of David Lynch, like really getting into listening to Lynch talk about transcendental meditation and his big idea, like, you know, his big fish idea that got right. me into so much other weirdness. And like that was the first first thing that was kind of like, oh, all of these people are pulling from these past uh, philosophies and stuff. Was there a moment like that that kind of made you dig deeper into some of these things? I just love being able to like think about how our minds work and like how they are, how there are theories about how they're separated into diff to different parts, like the ego, the id, the super ego, the unconscious, the conscious, the collective unconscious. All of those things, like there's endless possibilities and just boundless, I don't know. It's just, I get really excited about it. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Is there like a there's current? Oh, no ahead. limits to our brains, yeah. how they work. Like none yet. And that's so fascinating. Yeah, I think that is fascinating. Is there a current set of ideas that gets you super excited right now? Like, is there something that you're reading or something that you've been really into uh, kind of mulling over? I like uh, Young's collective unconscious stuff, like the archetypes, the primordial images, all that mm -hmm. stuff. That's really cool. Like, absolutely. Inherited ancient memory. That's awesome. It just, it's one of those things like you could be alone in your own mind, but you really aren't. Yeah. I, I love that. That's absolutely beautiful. Did you, excuse me, where did you come across uh, Young's work for, uh, for the first time? Um, college. Uh, probably. I don't remember the name of the class, but it was at Lincoln University when I was studying there. I got a BS in psychology from Lincoln. Oh, cool. I was just going to ask if you. Uh, so I'm had... like trying to sort through like all the classes I took. I'm like, I don't remember which one it was. What is it like being exposed to those ideas in academia? Because like I come from all of this stuff outside. You know, I have a associate's degree in illustration. Like, you know, there was no psych classes or anything. And in high mm -hmm. school none of it like you know like i didn't come across the ideas of carl jung until really getting into more weird stuff like terence mckenna and those type of people where i was like oh they're referencing this dude and then like once i figured out how to spell his name i was like oh cool like i got it like, yeah but like what what was it like coming across those ideas via a college class for the first time i lucked out and had awesome professors like, they were very passionate about the subjects they were teaching. So, I mean, you'd have to be, like, cold and heartless not to get excited about it by the way they were, <laughs> totally. like, just uh, almost like they were performers on a stage. Like, they had this this lecture mapped out. Like they had their timing worked out. Like I'm going to teach these kids today. Um, That's awesome. My favorite professor was Dr. DeBorn. He was so electric 
I guess you would could, you could call him like you couldn't help but just be infected by his enthusiasm. So whenever he would just go on these, I don't know, tirades about <laughs> about young, it was just like you were in awe. So I really lucked out on that. That's amazing. That's so cool. I love that. I definitely like it's one of those things looking back because I've heard similar stories to other people who like have pursued uh, uh, degrees in whether it's psychology or philosophy. I have several friends that are philosophy majors, which I always thought was a really funny thing in which to major in. But uh, like, oh, I got my minor in that. (laughs) That's awesome. But they were exposed to all these things that like I found myself like I remember when my friends who were philosophy majors, there was two of them at the time and they were going through the death and dying course and reading death and dying. And like, and I was like, that's a college, like, and just kind of bounced off of me. And then like way later I got into via like podcasts and stuff. I was like, Oh, it's that book everyone was talking about. And I can't remember the author's name, but I listened to her on a few podcasts. And I was like, it's so funny that this is something that like I'm now choosing to read voluntarily. And I remember them going to school to read it and it always mm-hmm. i always think about the way we ingest information and how different it is when you're like in doing it on your own via a community right like how much different right. it is to have that person up front kind of like being the entertainer and explaining the ideas in a different way than just like consuming them yourself and letting your brain and not that there's you know one's good and one's bad or any kind of judgment along those lines but it's always interesting to me how different the ideas sink in and yeah i i don't know that's awesome yeah do you do do you still like keep up will you go back and read philosophy stuff now is that something that you're still pretty interested in or do you kind of just every once in a while i'll get a wild hair and go pick up the textbook that i still have well i have a few of them but like kant was always good Mm -hmm. i thought he was that's awesome yeah, I don't know much. I don't know much Kant. I, so, so there's definitely a, a lot of big gaps. Like that's the thing with uh, self education is it's hard to get exposed to everything because you find what you like and you can just kind of sit in what you like. You know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. is one of the nicer parts about having that kind of community or that person to be like, nope, you have to try this now. You have to, like being being forced exposure to certain things is probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And Um, learning in a class environment in philosophy is very helpful because philosophy professors are like sowers of like chaos. They like to (laughs) pose questions and like discuss and then just turn everybody loose on each other. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I could see that getting a little heated at times. (laughs) So that's awesome. That that's awesome. So, right now, what is your main? Is the story that you were talking about? Is that your main creative project, or do you are you the type of person that has like a big project you're working on, or a bunch of little projects? Like, what do you what do you like to make right now? What are you making? So, a curious storm is the big one that's continuous, never ending, and then I dabble along the way. Yeah. Like, I've done little doodles for Liminal Earth and a few other, like, podcasts. I did uh, some Twin Peaks sketches, little doodle sketches. Yeah. 
Yes, no. Those the log lady one was beautiful. It's one of my favorites. Thank you. When did you get into Twin Peaks? Was that something that was uh you discovered young or in college oh, no. or No. No, I literally just started season 2. That's beautiful. That's so cool. Do you like it so far? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. That's awesome. Like I, the other day I was dying laughing, okay, cuz Cooper's on the ground bleeding from a gunshot wound and here comes room service. Like <laughs> one of the best hi. scenes ever. Hmm, yeah. Here's your milk. And I was just like, what is this? <laughs> Dude, that whole that actor is so, so good. Like the old decrepit dude. I can't remember his name, but he's like my favorite. Yeah, you can't get mad movie. at him. He's so happy. No, no, he's the best. Those scenes, I love those scenes because like that's where I feel like Lynch really shines is like directing those type of just absurd scenes that mm-hmm. like make all the sense while you're watching them. But then if you try and say it out loud later, you're like, nope, that didn't make any. Like, why right. was that a thing? Like, <laughs> and I think that's yeah. like, oh, God. No, go ahead. You're fine. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's what like nails the like. I had uh, a recent roundtable about Twin Peaks with uh, Steve Berg. And yeah. Um, he was he was saying that like he likes to use Twin Peaks as a metaphor for a true paranormal experience. Like it resonates more uh, close to what a experiencer's story would be, and like the cases of high strangeness that we like to talk about as a community via your standard like horror or like ghost movie or paranormal type of like blockbuster, right? And I think yeah, that you can't, uh, you can't pin it down. Yeah, exactly. It cannot I, be categorized. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think that is like a huge part of it is Lynch's way of like portraying the absurd in this almost humor type of way. But there's a lot of severity at the same time. And like I, I'm super nerdy with all of this stuff. I've read all the extra material that like Mark Frost wrote and everything. And like y- from reading that stuff, you realize that like all of the esoteric stuff and all of the like world building that's in there the occult like underlyings the Mm -hmm. the black lodge and the white lodge and all of that like that's all mark frost like lynch doesn't really contribute that much but what lynch does is he takes these like uh set pieces that are historically pulled from the occult or the esoteric and he makes them feel real by introducing that like level of surrealness or absurdity or like just Mm -hmm. the way that he can like i don't know it's it takes a very special person and i feel like it has to do with his meditation life and everything else that can uh bring back that feeling like you know like there's a lot of psychedelic artists out there that try and bring back the feeling of a psychedelic trip that like it's just not very successful to me like it's just not like the type of thing that's like but there are certain people that can bring it back and i feel like lynch is one of those special people that can go to the other side and bring back a true representation of it if that makes sense do you know the artist hieronymus bosch Yes, I love me. I watched something on YouTube about him last night, and that kind of like made me think of this conversation, made me think of that like the absurdness of it, like all the different archetypes, like included in the artwork. Just are we in hell? (laughs) Like, (laughs) is that what's happening? (laughs) Well, and 
I, I, so that's so funny you brought Bosch up because that is a huge Lynch influence. Like he talks about really? that, and also, and also one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to, and I bring up every once in a while, Weird Studies, uh, who started the whole podcast because of Twin Peaks. Like it all started with conversations, academic conversations around Twin Peaks. Bosch is a whole like they bring him up all the time, and like exactly what you were saying, and I, it, it ties into something I've been thinking about a lot in this idea of the more that artists and I think this was true, but I'm not like a, I, I'm not an art historian at all, but the more that artists like that allow the subconscious to bubble up, the darkness is a part of all of it. And like Absolutely. when I listen, like whether it's Lynch or I've been talking about one of my favorite cartoonists who's called his name's uh, Jim Woodring. And he does these beautiful books uh, that are about this character named Frank. And he talks about how he doesn't write the books. He just lets it come to him and it's all written for him essentially. And That's awesome. it's beautiful. And he has this whole story. I really recommend anybody going to watch it actually before i say this the reason i bring him up is because he talks about how for artwork and storytelling to be successful it has to be like dark and it has to be scary and funny at the same time for him like that's the magic sauce and i think lynch is the same way where there's something about this line of being like i love scary that. and humorous at the same time that makes it all it's that paradox or that dichotomy and the way that jim woodring talks about it is that he arrived at this place by essentially like allowing, like just opening up his consciousness and allowing these ideas to flow in. So he'll say, if he's going to work on a new Frank story, he'll sit under a tree with a notebook and he'll say, okay, Frank is waking up in bed today and goes outside. All right. Yeah, that feels right. Okay. Frank is sitting under a tree. No, no, that's not right. Uh, Frank is walking in a park and like he just goes through and when the ideas feel right, he lets that guide his way. And the one time he tried to like interject his own will into this world where he like he wanted Frank to have a partner essentially. And he created mm -hmm. this character that wasn't from this idea space that he calls the unifactor the whole thing stops like he couldn't finish. Usually these things just flow out of him and it's all effortless as far as the ideas and the stories. But as soon as he tried to like interject his own will, the flow stopped and it was like Got a lesson. That he had, right. Exactly. Mm. And I'm like, I love that idea that like, at our best, we're kind of getting out of the way and letting things flow. But there is this consistency that, as that flow happens, dark stuff bubbles up. And that's always fascinating to me. And I think, I think Bosch is a great example. It's in there. It's, it's, it's all in there. It's in there. <laughs> totally. Well, speaking of uh, the darker side of things, he, like mm -hmm. it, we're, this is going to be coming out, if not Halloween week, like right around. Uh, oh, that hell time. no. Yeah. Right. So were you a spooky kid growing up? Like was Halloween your jam or? Absolutely. Yeah, hundred totally. percent. You... <laughs> do, do you like? There were some of my most formative memories. Is whether it was uh, being dragged out of a haunted house because I was like trying to do things too too young, like trying to be cool, like my older cousins, or just like trick or treating Halloween time in general. Like, do you have a lot of those memories? Is that something that you think about these days? I remember. Um, if we're going like goofy kid story. Uh, yes. You know how they do like the costume parade at school when you're uh -huh. little? Yes, yes. I could not figure out what I wanted to be. So like I was like a gajillion different things at once. 
So I I had like this bride. I was going to be like the bride of Frankenstein. So I had a gown on, like, you know, a little kid wedding dress costume thing. And then I wanted to be a vampire, so I have vampire teeth. And I was painted green. But then I also wanted to be like, man, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> and I had like a feather, a pink feather mask and like Amazing. crazy, crazy like hairspray, teased up hair. And I love it. My teacher's like, well, what are you supposed to be? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm scary right (laughs) yes yes that's amazing oh man i love it i love it are your kids excited for halloween oh yeah yeah that's do you have are you uh dictated what the house costumes will be at this point like does your 12 year old is he are they still into it or is it getting to be that point where they're too cool for it i don't even know anymore with kids like is 12 like i remember 13 oh she's into it Awesome, awesome. Do you guys have costumes picked out and everything this year? Not yet. Last year we did homemade ones. Yeah, that's always fun. Mm-hmm. I uh, love it. My son was a Roblox character. Wonderful. From the game Doors. Okay. Which is like super creepy liminal game. I have not. It's just Roblox is a new world. I haven't gotten into that world yet with the kids. So. Oh my gosh. Okay, so like. I don't know much, but I know a lot about this one game <laughs> called Doors. I and love it's it. basically a hotel and you just have to go through all the doors. And like weird. They're numbered and they go from like one to a hundred and it gets each level gets harder and like there are creepy things chasing you and there's I th- I forget what the I think the name of the character that Ben my son dressed up as was called Seek. Ooh, that's and it's creepy. just it's just a shadow person with one big eye. Whoa, weird. Mm-hmm. That's so, definitely creepy. So we did like a paper plate mask and painted it black with one big bright eye on it, and he wore all black, and he was just having a blast chasing everybody around the house i'm seek boo that's amazing i love it i love it mm-hmm. yeah i i think that uh video game themes will be around for a minute for our house we're all teddy has determined everybody will be a mario character this year so i think oh that's fun he, yeah he wants to be bowser and he wants me to be bowser jr which i think is hilarious and very appropriate <laughs> for our relationship um and june's chosen to be luigi because she's obsessed with luigi she like even like if you're like hey june how's it going no i luigi and i'm like okay luigi cool sweet so she's taking her role very seriously and i don't we haven't started on the costumes yet but they're definitely they're super excited about it and it's always nice because like with the work i do i like i i have to get into halloween mode in like june and july to get stuff ready for releases around this time of year so i feel like a lot of the times it comes and goes and then by the time we're in october the kids get so excited that i get to like have a second halloween almost and get like way way more into it again and they've it's been it's always halloween around here that's awesome that is the <laughs> way to live <laughs> 
<laughs> that is the way to live. Do your kids, are they into spooky stuff in general? Like, have they uh, found their way to whatever this oh, yeah. uh, generation's goosebumps and things are? Yes. My youngest, he's all about spooky Roblox games. And, like, there for a minute I had to ban him from watching videos on YouTube because they were all like, we do this thing at 3 a.m. <laughs> I'm like, what are you watching? What Mom, it's about 666 at 3 a.m. I'm like, what are you talking about? And so he would watch these things. Like, they were they weren't bad. Yeah. Like, but he was freaking himself out. I'm totally. like, you can't watch these anymore, but yeah, mom, I want to watch them. But I'm like, you have to sleep, dude. <laughs> Okay. We all need sleep here, so that involves you falling asleep without horrible nightmares. <laughs> mhm. Mm oh, that's too funny. That's awesome. Yeah, I Teddy is very sensitive to everything still, but like has started pushing his limits this year, but like he definitely like very like he won't watch nightmare before christmas or a lot of the like kind of kid like he's like nope he'll listen to the songs and like he likes the idea of it all but as right. soon as i try and put it on he's like nope too much and i'm all like i'm like you'll you'll, you'll get into Man, it when that you get stop into motion it. Like, is real creepy though <laughs> it is there's a new uh this year's like disney um mickey mouse halloween special is claymation like all stop motion <gasps> and it's really good yeah it's it's actually like one of my favorite things i've seen in a while as far as kids halloween stuff it's like witch hazel uh turns them all into their costumes that classic trope and then they have to like nice. break the curse it's really good um but it definitely creeps him out more than like watching a regular like Mickey episode. It's really funny. Like that 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 oh, yeah. has like that uncanny valley to it or something that gets you. My <laughs> oldest loves Coraline. Oh, one of my favorites. One of my favorites. And she has falling fallen down this TikTok rabbit hole of like all the hidden meanings <gasps> and like symbolisms. Like Whoa. there's this woman on TikTok who's like has like 50 videos like a 50 wow. video series something like that of like breaking down each little thing on Coraline and she's just like eating it up mom did you know that in the tunnel there are the dead kids clothes that's amazing I'm like I'm gonna have to find oh this video These, uh, this lady's work <laughs> I definitely I'm excited to share that stuff with uh with the kids if they let me at some point here I've stopped trying to share things with them that I get excited about because it doesn't work at this stage so <laughs> <laughs> I tried showing yeah. Teddy the uh Halloweeny episode of Pete and Pete which is like like when yeah. I think of kids halloween like that is the thing like i like that opening dialogue to the sh that episode is one of my favorite pieces of writing ever like it's just that that show means a lot to me but like i tried to show teddy and it was just like too much too fast he was like nope not mm -hmm. into it dad he he won't tell me he's scared or anything. He'll just say it's boring, Dad. This is all boring. But oh, he did cool. like he did like some of the terminology with the, like little Pete. Like I think I think little Pete called somebody a gut bag, and he was like, "Dad, I like that gut bag." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that does just sound bad. like you know, it's not really anything, but it sounds bad." And I'm like, "Yeah, I probably <laughs> shouldn't have him going to first grade being like you're a gut bag." And I'm like, "There's lots of." <laughs> Lots of stuff like that I forget about. Um, but listen, I've kept you for over an hour now. So I figure... Really? Kind of, yeah, I know. It flies by, right? Like, it's very weird how 
how time works with this podcasting thing. But to kind of start wrapping things up a little bit, like, do you have anything that I know you you said you have the big story you're working on? And Mm -hmm. I love uh, I love the idea of having check in points with people. And like, I'd love to have you back on and see like where you're at with this thing. So to start that, like, where are you at now with it? Like how much of it do you have and where do you see uh, like kind of your next steps as far as making this into a reality? I have probably eight or nine scripts written. That's So like, I guess that could be, 50 or so pages wow that's a lot it's a lot and like i haven't broken it down into thumbnails or anything yet i've only done the first question i've only done like the first two volumes broken down into thumbnails and then i'm still changing them yes (laughs) it's a constant thing and then i have um like a few sketches of locations like things I'm just because the setting of the story takes place it's like based on a real town in Oklahoma so I have locations in mind that I want things to play out in and stuff so amazing are those watercolors behind you yeah that's so cool they're beautiful I love it not this one though this one is my favorite that I got for Christmas last year it's beautiful. I it's the weeping it. angel from Dr. So Hill. <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. Do you, so when you're writing this, are you just writing it out like typing script style or do you kind of break it down and write visually? Like you said, you're going through and thumbnailing them. Do you have right. the images as you're writing it or is it the type of thing where you just kind of write it all out and you I worry about I kind of have a movie in my head. Oh, that's perfect. That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. So, like, I write, I scribble it all out, make as many notes as I can, like, just pen on paper whenever I'm thinking of it, mostly after I get out of the shower. Yes, that makes sense. Got those crazy shower thoughts. Got to get them down. And the then I type them all out and make sense of it, you know, like, what? What is that? Because my handwriting <laughs> is atrocious. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. I just try to like visualize how I'm going to break it all down. I did get help. I want to shout out uh, CJ Hudson on Twitter. Yeah. He makes comics. He's a writer. And I kind of like, hey, would you mind taking a look at this and like giving me some tips on how to break this down? And he's like, yeah, sure. Of course. So that's amazing. Yeah. Very cool. That's so awesome. It's definitely one of those like I've been very interested in comics process for a long time and seeing like whether it's like alan moore or grant morrison or all the big writers like none of them write like a straight like they all drawled out like they all have their own versions and like like alan moore is notorious for doing all like panel to panel drawings but never showing the artist like he doesn't send the artist like his panel breakdowns he just sends them the script so that he doesn't influence it yeah so he'll like draw the whole comic himself where grant morrison usually sends the whole thing like as a like thumbnailed comic and that's always been super interesting to me as far as like how do you the whole thing with comics to me is that hybrid 
or that combination of words and pictures. Oh, so that's the script that you're typing out. See, mm-hmm. that's oh, man. See, I wish I had. I I just don't have the discipline to do that. That looks so. That's like what I want though. A lot of the times, and so you'll take that now and you'll thumbnail out that part of it and kind of break it down right. in those ways. That's amazing. I love that. And then from those thumbnails, like, do you have a style that you've decided on for the book and everything? Or are you still working out that part? Or That's the part that's making me drag <laughs> ass, I think. <laughs> I think because I have kind of like a real sketchy style. Mm-hmm. So like, it's very really sketchy, painterly. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, no, totally. Like- so... And I'm trying to get it in my head, like, mine doesn't have to look like everybody else's. Yeah, it it'll be better. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, need to, it doesn't be have to be neat it. and tidy. I can do it on paper with real pens and ink yeah, and paint. 100%. I don't have to do it. I don't have to buy all the software and stuff. I can just do it old school and scan totally. it in practical artisanal comics like i think you can, i'm old like, school. There's, there's that's beautiful and it's one of those things that doesn't get i mean i don't work that way for the stuff i make and like sometimes like i go through fits and starts where i'll go back to doing everything like inked on a piece of paper and scanned in and all of that and then i'll mm-hmm. be like this takes too long i just want to tell stories give me my ipad so that i can just swap <laughs> this out way faster and like there's advantages and disadvantages to both but it's all about finding the thing that feels right for the idea and the story you're trying to express right so yeah and And i gotta have my mess yes yes i have to be messy so yeah no that's that's wonderful and like comics can be anything like it doesn't like that's the thing that's so wonderful about the medium like when you look at the the variety and the like Everybody thinks of a very specific thing when they think of comic art, but that's probably a very small section of what it can yeah. actually be. Like it's as far any as any genre. Yeah. It can be anything. It's words and pictures. Like anything that combines words and pictures, then you essentially have a comic. And I think that yeah. like there's a lot of uh there's just so much that can be done and i mean like the paintings you have behind you like seeing that on a comic page in a linear narrative form would be beautiful and like there's so many cool things you could do with discarding panel borders and all of those things that like are like Mm -hmm. the language of comics is there to be used and discarded at the same time you know right i'm gonna keep what serves me exactly i love both sides of it too like i do love artwork that like like dave mckean is somebody i always think of that just has like a very incredibly ridiculous style that functions so beautifully for the stories he tells but like it disregards almost all comics form and language like it's completely (laughs) its own like it's just beautiful collage work and painting and watercolor and mixed media and just like it's so out there but it's perfect for the stories he tells and like i think there's so much more that can be done these days especially because 
comics art in general was the way it was because of the reproduction style that existed at the time. Like it was black line artwork because it had to be reproduced in black line forms mm-hmm. on these giant print. And that's not the case anymore. Like to have a full color, beautifully printed book is no longer cost prohibitive. Like you can do that and still sell your comics for eight to 10. You know, like you can, you can do that as a independent self-published artist now without those you limitations. You can even do it digitally exactly you don't, you don't ever even have, have to, to print it at all yes totally and that's like that's the type of thing that i think i there's so much potential for storytelling out there and i love that uh i don't know i love that it's easier than ever to share the stories like it's definitely Absolutely. something i go yeah go back and forth about like i think you know, I talk a lot about this idea of kind of cultural cohesive narratives and how it's harder than ever to have those cultural cohesive narratives. But the flip side of that, the the positive side of that is it is easier for everyone to express themselves and to share their own stories. And like there's a lot out there for sure. Yes, totally, totally. Well, listen, this has been a beautiful conversation, CJ, and I'm so glad that we got to do this. And I want to do it again sometime yeah, in the near future. Blast. Yeah, totally. This At is 9 a.m. That's right. Central yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for partying with me this early in the morning. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave people with? Where to find your work? Where to follow along? Where to buy your beautiful artwork, etc.? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that stuff. <laughs> that stuff, um, yes. <laughs> I do have some of my designs on Redbubble. Awesome. Which I find has probably the most affordable shipping prices. Totally. Because some of those places are crazy. Yes. Like, yes. for real. And then, if possible, can I shout out other people? Yes, anything. Please share. I would love that. So, you know AP. Yes. Him and uh, Brick Mojo from Twitter, they have their podcast YouTube thing yeah. going on. The Holy Donut, right? I'm so glad you're bringing that up because I haven't got to talk about that at all on mm-hmm. the podcast. And I, yeah, I'm more than thrilled to see what this turns out to be because those two are going to make some beautifully absurd stuff. Some magical <laughs> madness is going to be great. <coughs> you uh, nailed it. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, River James Phantom from Phantom Phantom, a French awesome. ghost hunter. I don't They're know doing this. S- yeah, they're great. I have to wait. I can't watch them live. I have to wait for it to get uploaded so then I can get the translation. But gotcha. they're doing some great work over in France of all places, like these ancient castles and stuff. Oh, I love it. That's so beautiful. Cool. And then... uh. Hold on. Uh, I wrote it down. <laughs> the I Ghost Gastropod. Oh, I haven't heard of this one either. Uh, this is great. I need Stacey. new recommendations. Stacy from Twitter. Uh, Ghost Gastropod on Instagram. It's like food and the supernatural. Love it. That sounds so, like a great Those are my shout outs. That's beautiful, CJ. Thank you, and that's so kind of you to use to use the time to share other people's work. And like I said, now I have some new stuff to listen to, which is always appreciated. Like, always want some fresh things to throw in the ear holes there. Um, 
Well, thank you for doing this again. Thank you. I super appreciate it. It was a blast. If there is anything that you want me to link or uh, put in there, just send it over and I'll make sure I put all that in the episode notes. And yeah, until next time, enjoy the rest of the day. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.